love, social convention, gender roles, and religion. Charlotte Bronte's most famous novel challenges ideas on all these topics, and we are here to discuss it. I'm Charlene. And I'm Mike. And this is Jane Eyre Files. Chapter 13. We Can None of Us Help Our Nature. Hello, husband. Hello, English schoolgirl. <laughs> I uh, play a little. No. Uh, thank you for that. And so, this is a great chapter, isn't it? We get a, a, a big introduction to... <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Big a, introduction to Mr. Rochester. Yeah, it's a very chatty chapter. Mm-hmm. You know. It's establishing a lot of character and relationship dynamics. Mm, that's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> We get to see kind of how what a, what a stubborn man he is, and yet mm-hmm. still alluring to the opposite sex. Mm, this is true. Yes. All right, let's just dig right into Chapter Thirteen, Spark Notes Summary. The day following his arrival, Mister Rochester invites Jane and Adele to have tea with him. He is abrupt and rather cold toward both of them, although he seems charmed by Jane's drawings, which he asks to see. When Jane mentions to Mrs. Fairfax that she finds Rochester changeful and abrupt, Mrs. Fairfax suggests that his mannerisms are the result of a difficult personal history. Rochester was something of a family outcast, and when his father died, his older brother inherited Thornfield. Rochester has been Thornfield's proprietor for nine years, since the death of his brother. Sparknotes is kind of really succinct for yeah. this chapter. It's oh. weird. Like, half of that summary is from, like, the last paragraph of the chapter. That's the main import of this chapter, yeah. is Mr. Rochester's younger, uh, whatever happened when his youth. Four, five, six pages of conversation, and Spark Notes <laughs> is just like, oh, I saw some drawings, and he charmed, although I'm not sure if I would say charmed by the drawings. He seemed like he was a little judgmental. Like, I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. I, I guess, you know, this, obviously, I've read this book often and it's been many years since that first time for me so that you know now that this is your second reading i'd be curious to know more uh like what do you think of mr rochester and jane like do you do you think that this is the beginning of a great romance or this is just a weird sort of (laughs) not what i expected i think you know i mean i i'm trying to think of what how i thought five years ago when i read it for the first time and now i know you know, now I'm starting to look before it was sort of like, I don't know what she sees in him or, mm-hmm. you know, and then I know what, how their relationship is going to progress. And so then right. I'm rereading it and I'm like, oh, okay, I could see where there was little, little touches yeah. where she might be charmed. Okay. You know? okay. And I think like, I think we may have talked about it on the last episode. Sometimes, you know, from a pickup artist standpoint, the idea of a, of a neg Mm-hmm. You know, like if you want to say something negative and somehow women seem to like that, like it's, it's, it's really weird where mm. if they're, if the man, as we're going to see in this chapter, he's very aloof. Yeah. And yet that just makes him seem just so much more mysterious to her, I you know, see. which is, I mean, it's bizarre. Again, I'm, you're dealing with two characters that are well known throughout literary history. And mm-hmm. It's not quite the introduction that i was expecting right yeah. and then not 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 only introduction with falling off the horse and so that's actually pretty i think that's a great scene i think so you too, know yeah. but then this first conversation is just like you know come down to have dinner and then i'm barely going to acknowledge you and then when i do acknowledge <laughs> you i'm just going to be 
kind of an ass, you know. Yeah, but when he when he does acknowledge her, like he's just focused on her. He's he doesn't want to talk to Adele. He doesn't talk to Miss Fairfax. Like he is uh, only interested in what Jane has to say, and I think that can be alluring, maybe for Jane. No. I mean, she's the newbie, right? Yeah. I think maybe he's tired of. Well, he's definitely tired of Adele, and as we'll learn, <laughs> immediately that, tired of her. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to learn all the history of of his relationship with Adele later, yeah. and you're like, okay, I can see why he may be a little tired of her. Mm. And then, you know, Mrs. Fairfax is just, okay, that's the lady running the house. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she's always there. And so he's probably, he's probably already had all of his conversations with her. And you said there's there's a, there's a somewhat of a distant relation right, yes. as well. So he probably already knows her. And is he going to take the time to get to know any of the wait staff, the other well, staff there? you know, it, it, I don't, obviously it's hard to tell now from, you know, my, our, our modern times, whether or not in Victorian times, is how odd would this be for the master of the house to be? speaking this way to the governess is is she that much lower social class that maybe it's more likely that he just wouldn't talk to her at all wouldn't be interested Mm -hmm. i mean he doesn't have a um wife to kind of deal with all that i would assume the wife would deal with all the governesses and caretaking of the children Mm. whereas the man would just go off and do whatever men do at that time oh well (laughs) yeah and she and jane does have a kind of an intriguing backstory as well like you don't Mm -hmm. think about it you got an orphan you know when 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 she talks about lowwood he seems to have know what that is yeah you know considering that it's not like it's in the neighborhood and he he and doesn't he drop brocklehurst's name as well too like he's yeah he know he seems to know about the school and and what went on there at least uh at a certain point i wonder does he know all the inner workings and so maybe that's uh, his, his opportunity to ask jane it's like you know whether you say he's taking interest in her i think it's just because she's she has such a unique story and then mm-hmm. he gets he can learn a little bit more about learn a little bit more about an orphan <laughs> maybe he hasn't met a lot of orphans in his time true he can learn he can learn more about lowwood because he probably doesn't know him he might not know anybody that's gone through it especially for eight years like she did mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's it's just like I said. It's it's a very different scene. It's it's still captivating, even though it's just a lot of question and answer. Mm-hmm. But it still keeps your keeps your attention, and it's quite a page turner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we skipped a little bit ahead because I wanted to mention how at the very beginning of this chapter, you know, Jane has a little bit of melancholy feelings. Like she she's going through her routine, but now that Mister Rochester's in the house, I think it's clear that she she's just feels even more left out now that he's there and thankfully now he wants to talk to her and brings her into the circle <laughs> that's what you think is she, she, she's feeling left out now that he's um well i i mean I, I don't know if it's more so than before miss rochester arrived because she did seem pretty melancholy beforehand but i don't know i, I guess maybe it, it the way that she that charlotte bronte phrases it it just seems like jane's a little even more sadder now that there's a little bit more life going on in and Jane's kind of on the outer side of it, you know. Mm, oh, because she's just the governess and she's not doesn't get to be one of the invited yeah, guests. She doesn't know who these people are coming through the house, you know, there's more noise, but she's she's still just in the room, locked away kind of. Mm. Yeah. It still makes me wonder what she was expecting then. Taking no, I this don't job. Know. I I mean probably not quite as much loneliness as she feels cuz she doesn't have anybody of her own age or, you know, status yeah. to talk to. Yeah, that's true. And I, I feel, you know, I I think we talked about it before as well that maybe there's still some a little bit of that seasonal affective sure. disorder. It's still dead of winter and you're stuck in this yeah. house. And then, yeah. yeah, you're right. Now, you, you she wanted some clatter. 
sort of. Mm-hmm. And now you've got it and it's not the right kind of clatter. Like yeah. you're right. There's no one. I can see there's no one her age. I say this as somebody who my sister and I were the first children of our generation and my parents. My, my, my dad was one of six. My mom was one of three. Mm-hmm. And so whenever there was like Thanksgiving or Christmas gatherings, we were not quite old enough to be at the grown-ups table. And then we were much older than the kids at the kids yeah. table. So it was... It was a little bit awkward, so but but it took a while, and once we got to be on a level with the parents, it was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is Jane not expecting to be at okay. the level of the parents, because I mean, Rochester is technically twice her age. Oh yes, that's true. And so I, maybe she does not expecting him to take so much interest in her. Yeah, which... we'll substitute class status with age in this in this scenario, but I think that's a very apt uh, comparison. Yeah, and I and I feel like, and I think you know probably get into it but it seems like rochester probably hasn't met too many people like jane in his life Mm -hmm. and jane certainly hasn't met too many people like rochester in her life yeah and so that makes for just an awkward conversation too because they're getting to know each other and yet they're not used to having their normal conversation topics i think well yeah but i also think it's a very dynamic conversation because you know they're learning more about each other and the fact that jane is not put off by the way rochester acts around her or the way he's a little abrupt and changeful that she just she just seems to find it interesting then mr rochester finds that interesting because she's not you know getting her back up and trying to or or making it seem like she didn't want to talk to him or anything yeah. And and then of course her answers. Uh, you know she takes what he says, and that sometimes he's a little bit sarcastic or humorous, and she just gives it back to him. I think that's you know just a great way to see that they're they're going to be a good match. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about how it is a very dynamic conversation, and there's two elements that I kind of wanted to bring up, and that was to me it's from Rochester's point of view, it's a little bit. I don't know. It's it's kind of about power and control. Mm. Like, I I thought you know in, in a way he makes her dress up for this, even though I mm-hmm. guess you know Miss Fairfax says you know we always dress up when he's here. Yeah, I thought you know. well, maybe it's just more convention that yeah. that you dress up while the master of the house is or the is still, at least the owners. You know, like if it was a family, you dress up for the family, which is still power and control, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's he already he's assumed that role, even whether he deserves it or not, because he's just the master of the house. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that he doesn't really even acknowledge her when they comes in, he can't be bothering. Yeah, maybe he's in pain, his ankle hurts, <laughs> but or he's, he's just not used to thinking that he has to acknowledge people because yeah, I guess that's there's a way that he can be a little arrogant. Arrogant, sure. Condescending is how I thought it was, you know. Mm. And I don't know if that's if that is just what happens when you have a lot of money and influence and very sparse social interaction. If you go weeks at a time without seeing other people than, than other than your employees, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, but it's weird because it, it's, he has that power and that control, but he's also, he's clearly taking an interest in her. And so he, he likes to tease her as well too. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that you could say teasing might come from a place of power and control as well, but then he's also very, very humorous in his way. He goes about doing it. I love that. There's a line where he asked her, how old she was when she went to Lowood, how long she was there. And then he says, you know, arithmetic you see is useful. <laughs> and I like that because I like that because before you and I, I always mentioned that I I was always better at math than I was in English growing up and you were mm-hmm. the opposite. And now mm-hmm. as adults, 
I find ways to bring up math, and you always have to make me do your math for you. I like uh, I like to use a calculator. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's but it's something my my father instilled in me because he was really big into math and and whatnot. But but yeah, okay, it does. So kind- you're just like Mr. Rochester. <laughs> <laughs> I am older than you, yes. Oh. But it's, yeah, and like I said, it, 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 it brings about, I wonder if he feels like he has to temper the conversation with some humor because he's worried he's going to lose her. He's, oh. if, if he's too gruff and too aloof, you know, because it's a lot of questions. And I think that's something yeah. that, that we talk about, um, like even how you and I, when I, you and I first met and we sort of mm-hmm. started, when we were starting dating, you know, there was always this notion that like asking questions, you want to ask a question so that you get an answer so that that shows that you, that you're, you really want to know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going on dates and the person's not asking a lot of questions, then you find Bad yourself sign. saying, yeah. yeah, like, do they, are they really interested or they just, they're just here That's to true. buy their time. And I like to think that, you know, when we first got together, we started by emailing each other. Then we had a, a, a long phone call. We, well, you texted me, Mm-hmm. The second day, even though you were busy, and that's how I knew you were interested, because you had something to do. You were at a book festival with your mother, mm-hmm. and yet you found time to keep texting me throughout that day. And I was, I was trying to let you go and let you do your thing. Yeah, yeah. And then we had a first conversation on the phone later that night. Went on a little bit longer than I was expecting because you had somewhere else to be, and yet you that's stayed true. a little bit longer than you probably should have. <laughs> and then our first date lasted seven hours, you know, because we found things to talk about. I don't know. And the funny thing is, funny now that now that I think about it. Whenever people always ask me, how did I know that you were the one? I always bring up the fact that on our first date, you made fun of me. Mm, a little you, teasing. You made, you, made fun of the, you made fun of how old my phone was. Yeah. And I thought to myself that if she's that comfortable enough to make fun of me, hmm. that she is quite the keeper. Now, this is different. I never felt that I was in control no. <laughs> or had power and influence like Rochester probably has. Or, or am I taking a page from Mr. Rochester's book here thinking, oh, that's how you get someone is you tease them a little. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, I find that personally appealing and I like the humor in 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 their conversation in this first in this first chapter and then in subsequent chapters. I feel like there's a lot of humor in the way that Mr. Rochester and Jane talk to each other. And I think that's very important. When you came on me in Hay Lane last night, I thought unaccountably of fairy tales. I had half a mind to demand whether you had bewitched my horse, had you? No, sir. Promptly spoken. Do I believe you? Who are your parents? I have none. Nor ever had, I suppose. Do you remember them? No, sir. I thought not. So, you were waiting for your people when I saw you in the lane? For whom, sir? For the men in green. It was a proper moonlight evening for them. Did I break through one of your rings that you spread that damned ice on the causeway? The men in green all forsook England a hundred years ago. Not even in Hay Lane or the fields about it would you find a trace of them. I don't think summer, harvest or winter moon will ever shine on their revels more. So we're talking a lot about Jane and Rochester and their connection. And I think it's thought-provoking to think about the way Mr. Rochester portrayed in this chapter where he's a lot more moody and brooding just like your really old school romantic hero just um you know he's aloof and abrupt and apparently that's appealing uh i mean i have to say that's appealing as, as a as a woman to in a in a literary context probably i, okay. I don't feel like i really look for that in life as 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 i look at you here <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this is the first impression, though, right? Like, it's yeah. inter- that, that, I, it's, it is a first impression, and I think surprising. it's interesting to look at subsequent chapters and see how you know Jane cracks that shell a little bit and mm-hmm. what Mister Rochester becomes. Um, but just from thinking about you know Jane Jane's interest in, in Mister Rochester right now, it does seem like you know I don't know what these attributes. Do, they appeal to women in a way that I don't know if they're, it appeals to their nurturing side. They want to hmm. help him. Why is that? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I'm not sure really. I don't know what it is. Women like think they can change a man. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Is... And that's, that's always a terrible way to think. <laughs> awful. Awful. Yeah. But Mr. Rochester does show a lot more attention to Jane. And this is probably more attention that she's received just focused on her than in this whole book. Like, you know, when she was talking to Helen, I think Helen was asking, or Jane was asking her questions and then Helen, and then Jane would remark on something and then Helen would say, oh, what does that mean? So it was more like, you know, more of a give and take, whereas Mr. Rochester is just like, okay, where do you come from? What did you do there? What did you like to do um, on your off days? And things like that. Mm -hmm. And he just seems to be uh, really interested in her, which I think is also another reason why it might be attractive. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, we you can get past some of his gruffness or his moody or brooding because if he keeps asking questions, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, like I said, there's a lot of questions in this. And there's one point that I actually wanted to bring up, and, and that was one line in particular that drew me out of this whole entire chapter. And there's a it's a moment where Adele wants her presence and she says, you know, what about Jane's presence? Mm-hmm. And so Rochester's like, you know, do you care about presence? What, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and Jane says, you know, they're generally thought to be pleasant things. Yeah. And then Rochester has the line where he says, generally thought, but what do you think? Mm, yeah. And it's it's just, it's, he's showing, like I said, he, he's showing specific interest in her. And also it's kind of, he's kind of embracing the idea that you, you don't necessarily have to think like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this, one of my little pet peeves I see a lot with um, like a press conference, especially I'm a, I mentioned I'm a big sports fan. I see this a lot in sports press conferences where reporters will say, they won't ask a question of the coach or the player. They'll just say, talk about this. Tell oh, me about this. Yeah. Or what's, what's worse is when they'll say, well, People are saying this, mm-hmm. and every once in a while, I've always wondered if the if that coach or that player would say, "I don't care what people are saying. What are you saying? You're the one. You're the reporter <laughs> writing the story, asking me yeah. the question. You know, because I do you believe these sources? Yeah, it's always weird when you, people people throw that out there as a, because usually when they do that, it's generally meant as a way of saying this is what I think, but I don't want to get all the all the heat for it. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, well, people are saying yeah. this. People said they don't like you're cooking. People said they don't like that, you, you know, the way you drive. And it's like, but who are these people? You yeah, know, who cares that, about these people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so this is Rochester kind of fine tuning it and saying, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Other people might like, might think gifts are bad, but what do you think of them? Mm-hmm. And again, we've talked about it. Has Jane ever, ever had a man like this in her life? Has anybody no. ever just focused their own their conversation specifically on her? Yeah. And yeah, maybe she's looking at the, into his into his uh, broody features or his dark features, or <laughs> we say that with his sideburns and his uh, yeah his eyes. dark eyes, yeah, yeah his dark eyes, and she just <laughs> kind of gets lost in him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the weirdest parts about their playful conversation is when she brings up her art. 
because I mentioned, I think you said something about that, you know, he's charmed by it, but I don't know. I, was, I had a tougher time when I was reading the page. There was a lot of uh, paragraphs in this chapter that I had to reread oh, several times sure. because of Charlotte's just she's very wordy. Oh yeah, and a using dense. a lot of phrases that mm -hmm. I not was not overly familiar with. But the way I read it is that he's just he, he comes off as as very he's too much of a critic, mm. you know. And it was it's almost a little too critical where it's just like this is an eighteen year old girl orphan <laughs> who's been at this institution. And barely survived all these life-threatening diseases yeah. and just happened to draw on her spare time. And yet he's just, he's kind of going at her like she's some professional. And it oh, was... Oh, well, I, I guess I felt like he was just more asking her questions because her paintings were so unconventional. And it showed like a unique mind underneath all there. And she's, and that makes Mr. Rochester even more interested. And, you know, I... I I put together a little breakdown about these paintings because I think that they're interesting. You know, they're, re they're really glossed over in a lot of adaptations, um, but they show a lot of symbolism and show her mindset, um, especially maybe foreshadowing a little bit of what's going to happen. So I thought it might be fun to do a quick uh, deep dive into these three paintings that Miss Rochester looks at. Do we have... Uh... Is there a police sketch artist that uh, has drawn the three paintings that we can know what they look like? Well, I, I mean, I, I hate to keep mentioning my favorite adaptation, 1973 miniseries. And I think they do a pretty good job of recreating exactly what's described. Um, really? Huh? So I, maybe I'll try to pull a picture of those to uh, post on the Instagram. Okay. Um, so, so the first one that he looks at is a shipwreck. And it shows a bird, Comorant holding a gold bracelet in its beak and a drowned woman's arm and wrist above the waves. So that's not great for a little girl to paint. <laughs> a drowning woman. Yeah, these paintings yeah. are these paintings are very dark. Yeah, very dark. And I don't know if this is just kind of a, a allusion to the fact that she's experienced a lot of death and sorrow in her life and maybe uh, that's just what stuck helps. with her. Yeah. yeah. I mean maybe this this is more normal for uh, children in that time period where they're they were so exposed to death and disease and horrible happenings but we got a bird reference uh, yeah bird reference and uh just the idea that this woman drowned and the bird again thinking that bird is free you know jane jane is trapped in her you know social standings and as a woman and what she wants to do in life this bird takes her possessions and is able to fly free. And then we have the second painting, which is a little simpler. It's a woman blending into a twilight sky um, with her head crowned with stars. And Mr. Rochester mentions that he sees Mount Latmos uh, across, in, you know, in the distance. And that, that brings the reference to the goddess Selene, who fell in love with Endymion and vowed to protect him forever so that might be foreshadowing a little bit of jane's uh, potential emotional commitment that mr rochester is wondering if she's going to be someone who will protect the man she loves perhaps uh that, mm. i mean it is mr rochester who makes that connection between uh Celine and mount Notmos. and this is another example i think we go back to that power and control where he's older than her and sometimes i feel like he's going to show off some of his knowledge oh and you know to, making oh, references yeah, to yeah. something that maybe she assumes that she doesn't know you know i think there's a there's a there's a line that he, that he quotes from othello in this chapter as well mm -hmm. so he's quoting shakespeare at her and he's bringing up mount latmos and some greek legends so that's <laughs> you know another one of those 
know-it-all moments, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Jane understands his references, so that's also another time to uh, point out that they are well-matched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the third painting is a little bit weirder. Um, it's a colossal head resting against an iceberg with two hands supporting the head, and then there's a like a dark veil against it. It seems to reference Paradise Lost by John Milton because Jane says uh, in quotations, the likeness of a kingly crown that's on the head and then the shape which shape had none, which are quotes from the Paradise Lost book. So, I mean, I haven't actually read Paradise Lost. No, I never, I never have either. So I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with it or what that actually means. I just kind of looking on Google, it seems that, you know, that, that comes, the, the, the quote comes from descriptions of Satan and hell. Again, pretty dark for a schoolgirl's paintings. And it's just full of despair, <laughs> which something, you know, that's something that she's experienced in her life. And maybe perhaps might experience further in this book. Yeah, and and once again, makes her that much more intriguing to Rochester. Mm -hmm. What kind of girl is drawing this stuff? (laughs) Definitely. Did you sit long each day painting these? Yes, it was the vacation, and I sat at them from morning till noon, and from noon till night. The length of the midsummer days favoured my inclination to apply. And were you happy? I was absorbed, sir. Yes, I was happy. Paint them was to enjoy one of the keenest pleasures I've ever known. (laughs) That's not saying much. Your pleasures, by your own account, have been few. I dare say you did exist in a kind of artist dreamland. Did you feel self-satisfied with these results of your long labours? Far from it. I was tormented between my idea and my handiwork. In each case, I'd imagined something... something I was quite powerless to realise. Not quite. You've secured the shadow of your thought. You've not enough skill to give it full being. Yet these are, for a schoolgirl, peculiar. As to the thoughts, they are elfish. And who taught you to paint wind? There's a high gale in that sky. And that hilltop is Latmos. Where did you see Latmos? In our previous episode, we had a little segment where we had an open casting call, and wonder of wonders, Mr. Matthew McConaughey showed up. It's I'm crazy. so impressed. Yeah, I know. Where did he find the time? <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you. But he showed up, read some lines as Mr. Rochester. You know, he's waiting to hear back. Yeah. We have someone else coming in today. It's a it's a little bit of a odd choice, but I, I think that you know people like him, and he'll bring a, a very different vibe to mr rochester are you sure i'm not too old for the <laughs> oh. plot don't worry mr walken you know we we were thinking of doing like an audio version uh, uh, audio adaptation as well so i think that would work so yeah mr christopher walken is here to read as mr rochester my Thank pleasure <laughs> charlene a big fan of the bronte sisters glad to hear it so, do I just jump right in? Yeah, you have this line right here. I think that it, it'll be a fun one to read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't fall back on over-modesty. <laughs> I've examined Adele and find you have taken great pains with her. She's not bright. <laughs> she has no talent. Yet in a short time, she's made much improvement. Ah, oh, wonderful. I think that would be perfect oh, for great. audio. <laughs> oh, that, that was... That was 
That was excellent. I, I got. I got to say, and, and you know, maybe he is a little on the old side. Yeah. But I, you know, it, 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 like you said, there's digital technology. They could de-age him. <laughs> oh, maybe an animated Jane Eyre. I think you would do really oh, well, Mister Rocket, for you that. Go. You know, your voice is so distinct, and we all we all want a distinct voice, Mister Rochester. Have your people call <laughs> my people. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get back to you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, well, just in case you didn't listen to the previous episode, but I think it's funny when Mike does his impressions. So here he comes in with his second impression, uh, speaking in uh, Mr. Rochester's lines. Again, I don't think I'm that good, but Charlene seems to like it. So, but it's fun. It's fun to, <laughs> to just imagine in a way. That's... And I almost did that. Yeah, a little your bit. voice. I, sorry. I, I, I was doing my impression of Christopher Walken. Yeah, it's hard not to speak like yeah, him when he's it, around, right? Certain mannerisms mm. that you have to do. But yeah, who, who knows? Maybe he might have been considered for the part yeah. in the... Color. I mean, truthfully, I'm not sure about that choice, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. He has his moments of, uh, of uh, the brooding... Yeah, you know? that's true. That's I could true. see him. Be, I could see him being aloof for sure. All <laughs> right, all right. Let's wrap up this episode as we always do with a meaningful passage or quote. And so I'm going to let Charlene kick it off. Charlene, from chapter 13, what was the, one of the most meaningful passages for you? So I mentioned that I love the humor and the teasing in Jane and Rochester's conversation. So this quote kind of leaps out at me as a great kind of funny uh, exchange. Uh, so it begins. Where did you get your copies? Out of my head. That head I see now on your shoulders? Yes, sir. Has it other furniture of the same kind within? I should think it may have. I should hope better. So, I mean, it's, it's not okay. much. You know, I, I kind of had a hard time picking a quote from this chapter just because a lot of it is just dialogue, like you said, and maybe the more introspective passages can can appeal to me and it's easier to talk about, but... Again, I just love that Jane and Rochester already seem to feel very comfortable with each other. A certain level of comfort, for sure. Yeah, and, the, and the, there's so much quick wit on both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had I had that in my notes as well. That's a great line. That head I see now on your shoulders has it other furniture of the same kind within. <laughs> that head yeah, I see now on your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is that that's a very good line. Yeah. Okay, so now what's your quote? Uh, mine actually comes from the very end of the chapter. And this is, we've had the whole scene with the, with the two of them together. And then finally she retires, Jane retires for the evening. She goes back with Mrs. Fairfax and she starts to get some of his backstory. Mm-hmm. And as she's uh, pressing Mrs. Fairfax, she already did when she first showed up at the house, right? She asked a bunch of questions of Mrs. Fairfax and Mrs. Fairfax is like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not here, whatever. She's kind of getting over it. Um, but then when he t- she talks about... When Jane talks about how uh, abrupt he is, you know, Mrs. Fairbex says, oh, you know, you got to forgive him for that. And she mm-hmm. says, why? And then the line that Mrs. Fairfax says is, quote, partly because it is his nature and we can none of us help our nature. <laughs> and partly because he has painful thoughts, no doubt, to harass him and make his spirits unequal. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I, when I pulled this quote, I did not know that you were going to title the episode after this, but it was... <laughs> it's a great quote. It's, yeah. It is a good quote. And I feel like, you know, we've just been introduced to Rochester, and we're just, but we're just learning the slightest bit about who he is, just mm-hmm. enough to keep the reader intrigued. Yeah. You know, like, 
Mrs. Fairfax talks about his father and brother, but it still seems like there's still some more. Yeah. You know, you Why don't want to give it to everybody. You don't want right. to throw it all out there once. You know, he's going to be a very important character moving forward. And I feel like Charlotte Bronte is very slowly peeling back the onion mm-hmm. here. And that's, that's well, like it's, it's right there at the end of the chapter. And then before you know it, Mrs. Fairfax is like, I'm ready. I'm done. That's enough <laughs> for the night and go to bed. Yeah. It does create more interest for Miss Rochester and for Jane to peel back those layers, like you said. And, and it's a great ending to this chapter. Yeah, and before we go, I, there's one more little Easter egg I wanted to drop in, and that's just sort of an inside joke between Charlene and I. There is a moment where he's at Rochester's asking Jane if he, he plays the piano, and she's like, "I play a little." And he's like, "Go, go play." Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to hear it. And then he, of course, and then he apologizes to her and says, "I know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound like that. I'm, yeah. I didn't know this is it's kind of a customary habit of mine or whatever." But then he says, "Go then into the library. Take a candle with you." Leave the door open. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great song now, Mr. Rochester. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) All right. That wraps up this episode. And uh, now that it's January uh, 2022, I wish everyone a happy new year again and hope that this is going to be a great, safe and healthy year for everyone listening. And happy 175th. anniversary of the publishing of Jane Eyre. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. This really helps us grow and reach new listeners. If you want to talk Jane Eyre with me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at airguide. That's E-Y-R-E. And if you want to hear more from me, I host my own podcast called Out of Touchstone, where my good friend Chad and I discuss all the films that Disney produced for their Touchstone Pictures label. You can also find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. Thank you, and farewell for the present.